The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening! You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome, dear listeners, to Season 14, Episode 12. I'm your host, Otis Jiry, and in this episode, I'll be performing four tales to terrify you, courtesy of authors Kyle Harrison, Finn McCool, Seth Paul, and Dale Thompson. Tonight, we'll hear stories of truculent toy makers, fearsome faces, dangerous discoveries, and royal revelations. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two spine-tingling stories. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscurrypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. 
Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show is about to begin. <laughs> Let's go back in time, folks. Just a bit. To an era that's often romanticized. Victorian England is a time known for its innovation, its stability, and, of course, such wonders as never-identified killers stalking the streets. Even as the British Empire grew, there were dark shadows stalking its streets and its imagination, something no great exhibition can ever fully recover. Tonight, we begin our foray into the 19th century with a little jaunt from our good friend Kyle Harrison, who tells the story of a toy maker who's about to make Christmas extra special for some local children who may not appreciate the surprise quite as much as they would expect. Without further ado, I present to you Sir Tristan Talbot's Toy Emporium. Samuel Ragan was a boy of very little means. He didn't know the meaning of well-fed, nor had he ever experienced it. His mother, dead, and father at war, to the world around him, he was but a ticking corpse waiting to find a grave. Each breath he gave to the city was one that others could never have. For that reason, and for others too pedantic to mention, Samuel wished to die. It's common for children Samuel's age to wish upon stars this time of year. The holidays give them hope that keeps their little feet running through the streets. It is not often, though, that the stars can be seen due to the gloom and smog that mix from the ocean air. Alive with industrial fervor, the brick and mortar never sleep. Because of this, children such as Samuel are forgotten. No one pays attention as they starve. Nor do they notice when young Sam climbs the chimneys and stares across the River Thames toward a grimy factory, one that looms above the town like a blight against the backdrop of hotels. It's a toy emporium, one of quite some infamy, in fact, despite the fact that the lights in the building were bright and smoke was billowing from the large chimneys. No one could testify that workers ever came there. Samuel knew it was owned by an eccentric man known as Tristan Talbot, who had earned his income thanks to war supplies during the Crimean assaults. Now, with the battles over, Talbot made his money selling goods to children, but not children like Sam. He could only dream of toys, and none of them sounded like they'd serve much of a purpose to help his poverty, so even his dreams were of little consequence. For this reason, he focused on the river below and considered what an icy death might be like. Before he did jump, he heard a man whistle softly to his side and turned to see an older, pale gentleman wearing a large fur coat and raccoon cap. The cold air didn't seem to bother the man as the two of them stood near the edge of the bricks, and the man seemed to take an interest in Sam. "'Shouldn't you be at home waiting for Santa Claus to bring you presents?' he asked with a thick Scottish accent. "'No home for his arse to scuttle down, sir,' Sam said, his eyes still hypnotized, on the blurry river below. "'Oh, and I suppose that factory over yonder way 
means nothing to you? Filled to the brim with toys, it is. Not that anyone cares. Ever since the war, little has interested children except guns and toy tanks. Not teddy bears or dollies. Maybe if the owner were to open his doors. I hear he is a bit of a recluse, Sam answered. Open doors? And let the little scallywags ruin the perfectly good merchandise? The man sounded aghast at the very notion. One day, that place will be just a pile of bricks. Ain't gonna do no one good then. I'd as well share it with the world, Sam argued. The man ran his hands through his beard. Aye, perhaps. Perhaps then we can make a wager, you and I. Come off that ledge and look at me proper, the man insisted. Sam did as he was told, staring at the stranger's twinkling eyes. They spoke of mystery and adventure, something Sam had hardly ever dreamed of. Stay alive for one more Christmas, and next year, if and you do, I'll let you be the first in the door for the grand reopening. What say you? the man asked, extending a shiny gold key to the boy. Sam's eyes lit with amazement and surprise. You mean you're the proprietor? Tristan Talbot? The aged man smiled and bowed properly. "'Tis I indeed, and upon this eve of St. Nick, you have inspired me, young sir. I shall do my best to make my place ready for a new era, one where children can appreciate me in this changed world, he commented. And this key, when you open, you'll let me just waltz in. It's a promise, young Sam. So will you take me up in the offer? the Scottish man asked. And so a bargain was made between an impoverished boy and a strange philanthropic man. Sam left the ledge and stared at the key every single night for a full year. He felt special, thinking that Talbot was letting him enter the Emporium. And when a year passed and Christmas got close again, he saw firsthand how patience pays off. The first clue were adverts plastered near lampposts of the grand reopening. Talbot was true to his word, and to Sam's surprise, the eccentric toy maker was inviting other children, just like Sam had hoped for. According to the poster, there would be newspaper flyers that detailed how any children of a certain means could enter the Emporium on Christmas Day. Supposedly, the goal of the reopening was to allow for children to be able to obtain a toy when they couldn't afford it themselves. The entire city was abuzz with the news, and Sam felt very proud to have inspired Talbot this way. He kept the golden key close, telling no one of its true worth. He wanted to be the first in line at those iron bars when the Emporium opened to see just what else Talbot had in store. Christmas Day came, and there were droves of people near the toy factory gates, clamoring for a look at the man behind these miracles. Sam stayed true to his vow and got right next to the gates to see the doors opening. A small mist of smoke poured out of them, and then a moment later, the strange Scotsman stepped out, a masquerade mask in one hand and a skirt of his cape in the other. He looked different in the sunlight, almost like a walking corpse, but he had a presence that made everyone immediately take notice. "'Welcome, my friends, my neighbors.' I'm so glad my posters and sales have not gone unnoticed. When these gates open, I must 
ask that only the children who've received the keys that I gave them shall step in. The rest of you, I'm afraid, will have to wait and see what's in the store, he said with a gentle chuckle. It sounded a little sinister, Sam thought. There were six other children, all eager with their own keys soon at the gates, and Talbot let them in. He examined them closely and seemed to pay no special attention to Samuel. Once he was satisfied with the keys, he encouraged them to head inside and bowed before the crowd. We will soon see if their wishes are granted. Until then, have a Merry Christmas. Words failed Sam as he entered the toy factory. The amazing moving parts and strange gears were enough to convince him he was having a wild dream. As they stood in the entrance, Talbot got the names of the others and learned about them. Sam decided to mentally take notes of his competitors as well. Surely Talbot didn't intend for all of them to gain the bounty within. Benjamin was a shy boy from the middle of the city. He had parents, but they often worked, and he didn't know much about parties. Thomas was a ruffian. That much was clear by the way he chewed gum and ignored much of what Mr. Talbot was saying. Elizabeth and Beatrice were sisters, both of whom received their keys to the Emporium separately and seemed eager to fight over who was more worthy of it. Reggie was a rich boy, a little older than the others. He seemed to have no real interest in the purpose of this place, and it puzzled Sam as to why Talbot would even pick him to be here. And lastly, there was Eugenia, a poor girl who reminded him of himself, hardly able to stand from eating such little bits of food and looking down at the floor any time that an adult talked to her. Sam decided to stick close to her as their host guided them to the next floor. This was the first area of the work floor, Talbot explained, where materials were brought in the production line when it began. There were trucks being brought in with loads of fluff to be sent for stuffing bears, or wood that was shipped down a conveyor to a sawmill. Everything we make here is directly on site. If you can dream it, we shall create it, Talbot exclaimed as he eyed all of the children. Most of them showed interest except Reggie. Talbot told them they'd all be seeing each step of the process, but the final result would remain a mystery until they arrived at the staging area. Samuel admired his showmanship. It was like watching a street magician. And little did any of them suspect that the man was hiding something up his sleeve. The doors in front of them shuttered open and the group entered an elevator, which Talbot said would take them to the bottom of the factory. My most important work happens here. And you, my fine specimens, will get a first glimpse into what has made me the most successful toy maker here in the city. The two sisters shared a snicker. Perhaps they didn't agree with that assessment. Playing with toys was probably beneath them, Sam thought. Or perhaps they thought they were going to get a reward from Talbot for just being this way. The man was hard to read or understand, and he seemed to be pleasant about everything despite most of the children ignoring him. It wasn't until they reached the bottom floor that a clearer picture of his intentions came to light. There in the darkness... Sam saw what looked like husks that would one day become toys. Most of them resembled wooden soldiers, but a few looked like they were newer models designed to be made for different types of figures. From 
in the shadows, Sam saw something stir and heard a noise. The rattling of chains. The gossip among the kids grew to silence as they saw what looked like small green tolls living there in the basement. But these trolls clearly had once lived among society because they had clothes that Sam recognized. Schoolboy uniforms, paperboy hats, even dresses from the upper streets. Are these children? Eugenia asked in surprise. Talbot snickered at her innocent inquiry and patted one of the trolls in the head. Most people have asked me why I ever shut the doors to this infamous toy shop. Some thought it was because of poor business, but the truth is, I was tired, getting tired of the thieves. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. He sprinkled what looked like stardust on one of the trolls, and all of the children watched as the creature contorted and shifted back to a scrawny boy who looked like he wanted to die. Sam was surprised, but listened intently as Talbot explained. These toys are meant to be treasured and cherished. I put my life into them, and yet these inconsiderate whelps thought they deserved it all to themselves. That sort of selfishness had to be punished. So I went about learning a little bit of magic. Across the world I did and found magic in every little part. Now I use it to make my toys. That would mean you're a real Santa Claus, Benjamin said nervously. And much like Chris Kringle, I've watched all of you and know that some of you deserve to be here in this dungeon slugging away. Isn't that right, Reggie? The rich boy seemed shocked by the accusation and backed away slowly, unsure what the toy maker might do. You think these toys are just playthings? They're art. They're idols, and you desecrated them. Talbot snapped as several trolls held Reggie down. Sam felt frightened seeing the boy be transformed, but then thought about the way things had been for him. He dealt with so much and hardly ever got to enjoy any sort of toy, whereas Reggie likely tossed toys like this in the trash after a week or less. 
Becoming a part of Talbot's workforce would teach him a lesson, Sam thought, as the spell finished and Reggie started grunting like a troll. His body deformed and hobbling over to the crowd of trolls, Talbot chuckled and gestured for the others to show what happened and then went back to the elevator. This is just the beginning, my guests. On to the doll room. The glare the others shared was now turned to worry. Sam couldn't be sure if he felt sorry for them or the toy maker. He's a troubled soul. Maybe he can still heal them, Sam thought. As they rode to the doll room, the other children began to converse among themselves, trying to figure out what Talbot's endgame might be. This is Christmas. Surely he doesn't intend to trap us all down here, does he? Beatrice whispered to her sister. Her twin had no response. She was too focused on the row of dolls that were flying by. The door opened, and Sam found himself surrounded on all sides by different models, different sizes, and different shapes. The dolls were enough to give every child in London. Yet they sat here, cold and dusty and unused, unloved. Somehow, Talbot knew what the boy was thinking, because they toured the dollmaker room as they did so. He explained, This place used to have so many little girls playing here, yet now it's a tomb. Maybe it was my mistake to lock my doors. Or maybe the children never appreciated what I offered to them, he sneered. The twin girls seemed eager to pick out a doll, and much to Sam's surprise, Talbot let them go and find one they wanted. He watched as the twins fought and struggled over the toys in the room, knocking over a lot of the merchandise in their path. They were only concerned about what they could grab and nothing else. I remember now. Selfishness and greediness. That's why I closed this up. You two likely have many dolls at home, yet you always want more. What your parents provide you is never good enough, Talbot said, rebuking the girls. Are, are you going to turn them into dolls? Ben asked, hardly able to get the words out. Well, that would be rich. I'd like to see that, Thomas guffawed. No, my dear boy. I intend to let the dolls have someone to play with. Talbot responded as he snapped his fingers. Suddenly, the playthings moved of their own free will. These were not puppets on strings. Somehow these dolls had life. They grabbed at the twins and started to manipulate them, the same way the girls had likely done with their own dolls hundreds of times, except that their bodies of flesh and blood couldn't bend like plastic. Sam and the others watched as the girls screamed in pain and then were slowly dragged away into the swarm of dolls. What a lovely time they'll have together, Talbot said checking the map to see where they'd go next. Eugenia grabbed Sam's arm, pulling him and the other two boys aside. We should leave this place. Talbot has clearly lost his mind. This event was never intended to bring joy to our lives. He targeted us. He's picking us off one by one for our sins. She whispered to them. Thomas seemed skeptical. Or maybe the ones that survive get a prize at the end. I ain't done nothing wrong to be here, he said. Nor I. I'm just a humble boy looking for fun, Ben said, his teeth chattering in fear. Eugenia did her best not to roll her eyes. Clearly, Talbot thinks differently. 
When we reach the next room, I'm going to search out for a way out. She decided. Sam said nothing, the group hearing Talbot calling them to the next staircase. Plush toys are next. Stuffed bears and animals of all sizes. Truly amazing, the man said, doing his best to hold back his smile. It was clear to Sam he was proud of the work he'd done to make this factory come to life. It did make him wonder why he'd gone to so much effort for children if he didn't see any reason to give them anything. What purpose did all of this serve? In the plush animal room, the children kept a close-knit huddle, watching as Talbot prepared the next batch of toys for his shipment. But where were they going? So you do send them elsewhere, Ben said excitedly. Talbot's eyes shone with evil glee. There are too many children that don't have a bear to hold or appreciate. Often they tear the stuffing out, let their dog rip it to shreds. Would you know anything about that, Benjamin? The boy's eyes widened, and his timid spirit was replaced with an aghast despair. How could you know about that? How? I kept it a secret. Even my parents didn't know. He shrieked. Immediately before the mad toymaker could punish him, Ben began to run. In the commotion, Eugenia also bolted and went in the opposite direction. Talbot seemed to predict every move that they made. He cackled fiercely like an old hag and watched as the trap strung Ben up like a puppet. He was held upside down between two plush bears and then slowly ripped his shreds by their sharp claws. They were ripping the stuffing out of his body. Symbolically. I knew because I have innovations this city can only dream of, Ben. Can you imagine, for example, a way to communicate wirelessly through radio waves? Men dream of electricity, but I offer something grander. A way to monitor our sinners. A way to keep the masses controlled. Each house can have peace on earth once my bears are distributed, Talbot explained. Sam focused on Eugenia. He couldn't listen to the screams from the bears any longer and wanted to see if the poor girl would escape. She was nearly at the docks at the back of the factory. The gates opened at the river mouth, and she was climbing in a boat. The last second before she could set sail, Thomas emerged from the shadows and pinned her down. A struggle ensued. The two children tossed and wrestled on the boat until, at last, Thomas managed to find a rope and tied her up. Shortly later, he was standing in front of Talbot, using Eugenia as a trophy to win the toymaker's favor. See, it can be rough around the edges and be useful around here. I can tell you hate kids. Well, so do I. Let's see them pay for their mistakes together, he said. I knew that Talbot was considering the offer, but instead of accepting the prize, the girl, he decided to lock Thomas away instead. A clever boy like you's a threat, he said, as the toy soldiers grabbed the lad and tossed him into an exhibit cage. You're too eager for power. Perhaps once you learn your place, you'll see your usefulness, Talbot decided. Then he focused on Samuel and Eugenia. His malicious smile was enough to make the boy think he'd be next. But instead, he asked Sam a simple question as his palm rested against Eugenia's throat. What do you think, Samuel? 
Should this woman be allowed to leave? Sam found himself unable to speak for a moment as he saw tears streaming down Eugenia's cheeks. Let her leave. Someone to spread the word. It's faster than any other. Maybe that's why she was meant to be here. Maybe that's why we need fairy tales. To keep that hope alive so it can be squashed, Sam told him. Talbot was pleased with the boy's response and nodded to the soldiers to let her go. Soon they were alone and the factory was silent. All the toys were watching and waiting to hear what their master would speak of next. You're different from the rest of them. You didn't turn away when you saw them suffer. You watched. Tell me why. The man ordered. Sam felt his throat going dry. I will tell you, sir, but it's not a pleasant answer. None of these children were deserving to be here. That's why I was surprised when I saw them at the gates. Now that I've seen what you've done at them, I understand. You've always had a vision for your toys, one that I share. You realize that real joy and appreciation means that these children must lose everything first. It's the only way they'll see the happiness in their lives, Sam told the crooked man. Talbot leaned on a cane and cackled like a hen. He was pleased with how callous the boy was. You're truly a bright spot in this dreary Christmas. Come with me, boy, and we'll have a good dinner together and plan for the next batch to receive their salvation. Talbot replied and took him under his arm. The story ends here. Not with happy endings or morality, but with bitterness and cold. The winters of London are harsh, and the children must learn how rough they can become. Sir Tristan is not alone any longer. A new harbinger of Christmas has emerged. Together they will weave new traditions, filled with pain and viciousness. I hope you enjoyed Sir Tristan Talbot's Toy Emporium by Kyle Harrison, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash kyle-harrison. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash k-y-l-e dash h-a-r-r-i-s-o-n. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. A harsh lesson, but surely one we can all benefit from. Who wouldn't want their children to know how to take care of their toys better under the threat of ironic punishment? Well, at least that's how I'd want to take care of some kids in this neighborhood that live on the corner. I wonder if that toy maker has a phone number to call. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Next up, we meet a medical marvel or fantastic freakishness. I guess uh, it all depends on your perspective and how much stock you put into a world beyond our own. Come then and have Finn McCool introduce you to a poor young man with a strange problem and even stranger consequences. Without further ado, I present to you the tragic saga of Edward Mordake. My good readers, have you ever heard the sad tale of Edward Mordake? His story is indeed one of woe and tragedy, of darkness and loss. Poor Edward, born into one of the most respectable families in England, an heir to a great peerage. Had he lived under normal circumstances, Edward would have inherited a vast fortune and prestigious set of titles, placing him at the very pinnacle of British aristocracy. But alas, this was not to be, for Edward was also born with a deformity so unusual and terrible that he was unable to partake in decent society. As an intelligent young man, it's tragic that Edward could not attend public school or socialize with other young boys. Instead, he spent the entirety of his short life trapped in his family's stately home, walking the halls during the twilight hours and devouring books from his father's library. Edward was the only son of Lord and Lady Mordake, and it's said that his parents loved him dearly despite his deformity. Sadly, I never had the privilege of meeting Lady Mordake, as she passed several years before I came into Edward's life. I did meet the Lord, however, a fine and brave man decorated for his heroism during the Crimean War. Sadly, Lord Mordake was an almost broken man by the time I met his acquaintance. But he never gave up on his only son and legal heir, and the hope that Edward could be cured from his appalling affliction. It's said that he spent much of his family's fortune seeking the opinion of physicians and experts from across the globe. Poor Edward was examined by many medical men, yet none were prepared to perform the dangerous surgery that the young man sought, as such a procedure would surely have killed him. You see, Edward Mordake was born with two faces, the second positioned on the rear of his head. This ghoulish duplicate face had a pair of dark eyes and a hideous maw that drooled. It couldn't speak with other persons, at least not directly. But Edward swore that his demon face could speak to him, communicating awful things in an attempt to drive its host mad. What's more, the demon was said to sneer when Edward was happy and smile cruelly when he cried. I can attest to this, having witnessed the twisted symbiotic relationship firsthand. The hellish vision is one I fear I'll never forget, particularly given the tragic events that followed. But I'm getting ahead of myself, dear readers. I suspect that you're curious as to my identity and the circumstances which led me to become embroiled in this sad and dark tale. 
Well, I'm sorry to disappoint, but I, I do not intend to reveal my name. I, too, come from a respectable family, and I fear that my rather unorthodox interests will bring shame upon my kin. Suffice to say that I have inherited a significant fortune, allowing me to pursue my true passion in life that has brought me to all corners of the Empire and beyond. I cannot say for certain how I developed my interest in the occult. This fascination has plagued me since childhood, from poltergeists in the home counties to legendary beasts in darkest Africa. I've chased them all, but never did I encounter a tale as bizarre and terrifying as that of poor Edward. Like many in my circle... I was familiar with the accounts of a young nobleman with a demon face. Naturally, I had a considerable interest in the story, but was never able to confirm its veracity. You see, Edward had understandably become a recluse, remaining in his family home and refusing to receive visitors. What's more, Lord Mordake was very protective of his only son, even more so after the passing of his good lady wife. Therefore, I was surprised to receive a letter from the Lord inviting me to their family home. The correspondence didn't include much in the way of detail, although I had heard through mutual acquaintances that Lord Mordake was becoming increasingly desperate in his attempts to help his son. He had heard of my expertise in matters of the bizarre and unorthodox and was keen that I meet Edward and hear his story. I'll confess that I was excited to receive the invitation and to finally discover the truth behind this intriguing mystery. To my eternal shame, I thought little of the Mordek family's pain and suffering, which I was about to intrude upon, but the folly of my enterprise would soon become apparent. My arrival at the Mordek family home was quite shocking, as I discovered what had once been one of the grandest Georgian houses in the country had now deteriorated to an alarming degree. The substantial grounds were overgrown and poorly maintained, and the house itself was noticeably dirty and in poor state of repair. There was no welcoming party there to greet me at the front door, and I saw a few staff on duty as the elderly butler escorted me to the drawing room. It was indeed a sad sight to see a once great family reduced to this sorry state. My concern only increased as I was introduced to Lord Mordake himself. The gentleman looked as if he had been to the depths of hell and back. He appeared disheveled with his suit untidy and with several days' worth of grey stubble on his chin. The Lord held a large glass of brandy as he sat in front of a dying fire, looking up with glazed eyes when I entered the room. There were a few formalities as Lord Mordake curtly dismissed his butler and offered me a drink which I politely declined. Instead, I joined the long-suffering peer beside the fireplace, attempting to warm myself in front of the burning embers. I must apologize, the Lord began. Sadly, my family home is not what it once was. Many of the household staff have left, and others I've had to let go. I've spent so much of my family's money on treatments for my son, all to no avail. Alas, I've been reduced to the point of bankruptcy and have nothing to show for it. I'll confess to being shocked by the Lord's frankness when speaking to a stranger on such personal matters. 
Regrettably, my upbringing and education as an English gentleman had given me little in the way of experience when it came to dealing with a fellow man in distress. Therefore, I merely muttered, It's quite all right, Lord Mordake. Thank you for inviting me. He shot me a look of hostility, and I feared I had somewhat offended my host. I stuttered nervously, attempting to apologize, but the Lord cut me off abruptly. I suppose you're eager to see him, the freak, my only son and heir. Suddenly I felt great shame as I realized how easily he'd seen through me, quickly identifying my true intentions. I replied without confidence, saying, My good sir, I only wish to help your son through this ordeal. I'll do whatever I can to assist you and your kin. Mordake sneered, taking another swig from his glass before answering. Quite so. Well, you'll get your chance to meet Edward, although honestly I doubt there's much you can do to help the poor wretch. But before I introduce you to my son, I must insist that you speak with Violet, one of our scullery maids. The young woman will be able to provide you with an insight into Edward's state of mind and his unique and most terrible affliction. I was left confused and frustrated by the Lord's insistence on speaking with this third party. He had not mentioned this Violet in his correspondence, and I was indeed keen to see Edward. However, I felt like I'd already tried the Lord's patience, and so did not wish to insult him further. Therefore, I politely accepted, waiting as the Lord instructed his butler to find this mysterious maid and bring her to us. The maid arrived about five minutes later, a delicate young girl who appeared petrified by the situation she found herself in. Lord Mordek was unjustly harsh with the girl, in my opinion, and so I smiled and spoke softly in an attempt to put her at ease. The slight woman stood close to the fire, not permitted to sit with us, as she told her ghastly tale. "'Well, woman, there's no need to stand on ceremony,' the Lord said sternly. "'Tell our guest about your experiences with my son.' "'As it pleases you, my lord,' she answered meekly, whilst keeping her head low. She seemed reluctant to begin her account, and the delay only increased the Lord's irritation. I felt the need to intervene at this point, reaching out to gently touch the young woman's chin, and lift her head ever so slightly so I could look into her deep blue eyes. Once I'd done so, I spoke gently into her ear, saying, "'Come now, child. There's nothing to fear. You may speak freely.' She smiled thinly, and the act of tenderness reminded me of another time in my life, one marked with tragedy and grief. But I quickly pushed aside such memories from my mind and concentrated on the task at hand. "'Well, good sir,' the maid began, her accent betraying her cockney origins. "'I was brought here to work as a scullery maid, but the Lord gave me a promotion after most of the other maids left.' She cast a glance across at Lord Mordake, who in turn shot her a stern look. Frustrated by my interruption, I prompted Violet to continue her story. I was responsible for looking after the Lord's son, Edward. I brought him his meals, changed his chamber pot, washed his clothes. I guess I was one of the few people who Edward would see. Go on, I said. Well, sir... I always found Edward to be the perfect gentleman. 
well-mannered and kind-hearted. He has a handsome face, his real face. I mean, not the other one. The Lord scowled, but Violet no longer paid him any heed. You didn't mind his second face, I asked curiously. Oh, I minded it, Violet replied. No godly woman wouldn't. But I guess I wasn't as disturbed by the demon face as the other maids were. I got used to it after a while, I suppose. And I never blamed Edward. Such a terrible curse to be born with. The young man did nothing to deserve that. So, I continued, you were Edward's maid and the arrangement was working well. But then something happened, didn't it? Violet lowered her head once again, trying to hide the fear in her eyes. Yes, she whispered. Something happened, and it was an ordinary night, or so I thought. I was collecting Edward's dinner plates when he suddenly reached out and grabbed me hard by the wrist. Now, it wasn't like him to do such a thing. Like I said, he was always the perfect gentleman. I know the type of men who get unnatural urges, and he was never one of them. I yelped in surprise and looked into his eyes, but all I saw was darkness. Then I realized it wasn't Edward anymore. It was the demon. It had taken control at that moment. Taken full control of Edward's body. The poor young man. I think he's constantly fighting against the beast within him. Using all of his strength to keep the demon from rising to the surface. But I guess sometimes it's all too much and the monster overpowers his good side. The tension by the fireplace became almost unbearable as I waited for Violet's tale to reach its terrifying conclusion. I saw there were tears in her eyes as she struggled through her next words. When it spoke, its voice didn't sound like that of a man. Not even close. I could have sworn it was the devil speaking to me at that moment, and it chilled me to my bones. And what did he say, I demanded impatiently. He told me that my father was watching me, and he wanted to speak with me. Violet shot back, an anger now entering her tired voice. Your father? I asked in confusion. Yes, she replied. He died five years ago, you see. And, God forgive me for saying so, but I wasn't sorry to see him pass. Oh, I replied curiously. Yes, sir, she confirmed. But you must understand, my father was not a kind man. He enjoyed beating me and my siblings without cause, and he did other things, too, beastly and ungodly acts which no man should ever inflict upon his offspring. I see, I replied sympathetically. I considered myself too much of a gentleman to press for further details, and yet I was enough of a man of the world to know what twisted perversion she spoke of. Still, I was interested in Violet's talk of her deceased father and the message from beyond the grave. I had met and interviewed many so-called mediums and psychics in my time, only to discover that the majority were little better than con artists. However, Violet's account already seemed different from the others. Could it be that Edward's demon face could act as a conduit to the other side? I found that possibility both fascinating and terrifying. What was your father's message, I asked. He wanted my help, Violet replied solemnly. My old man was in a bad place, you see. Hell, I suppose, or somewhere nearly as bad. The demon possessing Edward told you this, I inquired. No, she replied firmly. 
The beast didn't tell me. He showed me. I'll admit to being taken aback by the maid's reply, my jaw literally dropping. I, I can't fully explain it, she continued, but he still had a tight hold of my wrist. We were connected somehow, and it must have been a spiritual as well as a physical connection. I could see what the demon showed me, and it was awful. Well, tell me, I insisted. I had to know. My thirst for knowledge was unrelenting. I saw my father emaciated and stripped down, dressed in nothing but filthy rags, and he was chained in what looked like a gigantic cave deep underground. He couldn't move, couldn't break free from the chains, no matter how hard he tried. And then he saw me out of the corner of his eye and shouted across the void, crying, Please, love, I'm sorry for all I did. Please help me. Save me from this hellhole. I could hear his words and realize that it was within my power to save him. I could forgive my father for his many sins and save him from suffering. And yet I refused. I wanted him to be punished for all he'd done to me. Suddenly, I saw a terrible beast emerge from a tunnel at the far end of the chamber. A wingless dragon of jet black with monstrous yellow eyes and long, sharp teeth, each one as big as my hand. I watched as the monster slithered across the cave's floor, extending like a snake as it approached my shackled father with a deep hunger in its reptilian eyes. My father screamed, and I could see how terrified he was. A moment later, the beast vomited a stream of blue fire which consumed my father's frail body, burning his skin and flesh as he cried out in total agony. I must confess, good sir, I was sickened by the sight and ashamed by my part in it. I wouldn't wish such a fate on anyone, let alone my own flesh and blood. But when the awful deed was done, the beast released me from its grasp, and I was once again facing Edward, his true face and humanity restored. The young gentleman saw I was distressed, and he expressed his concern. But as soon as I was free, I fled from the room and never returned. By the end of her story, the poor girl was trembling with tears rolling down her cheeks. I reached out to comfort the poor maid, but the Lord was having none of it. Thank you, Violet, that'll be all, he instructed. She composed herself enough to curtsy before she left the room. I'll admit to feeling a mixture of emotions after hearing the maid's confession curiosity, fear, and also excitement. I turned back to Lord Mordick, who had remained largely silent during his maid's stirring account. Hers is quite the story, I said, trying to draw him out. Indeed, he replied thoughtfully. Do you believe her? I pressed. Is she prone to flights of fancy? The Lord nodded his head, taking another gulp of brandy before responding. If Violet was the only one, her story could easily be dismissed. But others in the household have had similar experiences, including my late wife. He paused, sighing deeply before continuing. My theory, for what it's worth, is that the demon which has attached itself to my son is a spawn of the devil sent to our realm to torment and corrupt, all the time using my son's body as its hellish vessel. Now, please tell me, good sir, what would you do if you were in my position? Would you not do everything in your power to free your loved one from Satan's predatory grasp? I nodded my head solemnly. At this point in my life, I was unmarried and had no children, but still, I could relate to the Lord's terrible dilemma. 
So, he continued, perhaps you now understand why I've brought you here, good sir. Your knowledge and expertise in such matters, those of the occult and supernatural, if there's even the slightest chance you can assist my son and free him from this beast, I must ask that you try. My son's life and my family's future depend on it. I'll admit to experiencing the pangs of apprehension as the silent butler led me upstairs to young Edward's chambers. For the first time in my endeavors, I had doubts. As I walked the staircase in dark corridors, I couldn't escape the feeling that I was intruding in a place I did not belong. My instincts told me that I should turn on my heels and leave this house of tragedy and darkness. But it seemed like the act of a coward to come this far, only to walk away from the commitment at such a late hour. And so, for better or for worse, I proceeded. Edward's bedroom door was locked from the outside, a fact which I found concerning. The butler unlocked it with a set of jingling keys before opening the door for me. I noted that he would not follow me inside. The interior of the room had an odd and slightly unpleasant musky smell. It was also dimly lit, meaning I needed to adjust my eyes lest I trip over the furniture. I answered Edward's call, following his voice, to find him sitting behind a desk made of the finest oak, writing using an ink quill and with a pile of other bound books beside him. The tone of his voice was amicable, and I found him in good form, on the surface, at least. The lighting was dim, but Edward's face, his true face, was illuminated by candlelight. The stories I'd heard turned out to be true. Edward was indeed a handsome young man, which made his ailment all the more tragic. The smile on his lips seemed genuine, although understandably it was tinged with sadness and perhaps more, well, more than a hint of fear. Please take a seat, he invited, after greeting me with a hearty handshake. I accepted his offer, sitting opposite the young man and meeting his gaze. My father told me of your exploits, he began politely. I've agreed to meet with you, sir, although I fear I may be a disappointment to you. Only here to offer my assistance in whatever way I can, I replied. In truth, the words nearly stuck in my throat, as I knew I was telling a lie. I'd come here out of morbid curiosity to witness the freak firsthand. I would never admit as much, but I'm sure that poor Edward knew the unpleasant truth. I suppose you wish to see it, he said suddenly and without warning. I gulped visibly unsure for the moment on how I should answer, until eventually I stuttered out my words. Well, if it's not too much of an imposition. Edward nearly nodded before slowly turning his chair around, and then I saw his second face in all its horrific glory. The demon face that protruded from the back of his head was a grotesque parody of Edward's true image, its crusty lips drooling and its lifeless eyes staring out blankly at me. I consider myself to have a strong stomach for such oddities of nature, and yet I was sickened by the sight, and yet I could not turn away from those dark, dead eyes. It was as if I was transfixed, and I leaned across the table to get a closer look. This proved to be a critical mistake. Before I could react, the eyes suddenly blinked, and its lips formed a cruel smirk. 
Barely a moment passed before Edward's right arm reached behind his back, grabbing my wrist and holding me in a vice-tight grip. I tried in vain to escape his grasp, realizing, too late, that the beast had taken control of Edward's mortal body. I attempted to retain my composure, but must admit to experiencing raw panic when the demon's lips spoke to me in an ungodly inhuman voice. Now you shall see the truth. Prepare to bear witness to the world beyond. The most curious and terrifying occurrence happened in that moment as my very soul plummeted into the horrific depths of the underworld. I fell through darkness for some length of time, attempting to scream but finding myself unable to utter a sound. Eventually, I crashed through a heavy canopy of trees and landed heavily on a forest floor, feeling a bitter cold as I opened my eyes and struggled up to my feet. I adjusted my eyesight to the black, soon confirming that I'd been dropped into a dark and sinister forest, a haunting woodland of inexplicable origins. Fumbling along underneath the tall trees, my ears picked up the foreboding sound of soft, feminine sobbing. I followed the cries with some trepidation, fearing what I would find, but knowing this was something I must witness. And then I saw her. A pale woman dressed in rags on her knees in the dirt and sobbing uncontrollably into her hands. I'll admit to feeling deep concern for this ghoulish entity, slowly walking across the forest floor to stand beside me. My horror only intensified as I saw the tears falling from her cheeks, and they were colored a dark crimson, and when they hit the dirt floor below her, they were consumed by a host of vile worms and insects. I reached out with a shaking hand, stopping myself, as I experienced a last-minute hesitation. And when she raised her head and looked up, my heart almost stopped. The spirit I was facing was Edith, the young woman I'd promised to marry, but who had died tragically young. I shall not bore you, good readers, with the history of Edith and I's doomed relationship. Suffice it to say that I carry much guilt with me due to the circumstances of her death. I cannot claim that Edith was my soulmate, but our union was coveted by our respective families, and I was very fond of the sweet girl. Edith was pretty, well-read, and committed enough to indulge me in my unorthodox interests. She accompanied me on an expedition to Burma shortly before we were meant to be wed. At the time, I was searching for signs of a rumored lost civilization deep in the uncharted jungles, while Edith remained in the relative comfort of Rangoon City. She contracted malaria soon upon her arrival. Eh, not an unusual affliction in the tropics. Doctors, they told me she was not in immediate danger, and so I selfishly returned to the jungle to continue what transpired to be a fruitless quest. When I returned to Rangoon, I was informed that Edith had passed away from her illness during my absence, dying afraid and alone in a foreign land far from home. I thought I would never see my betrothed again, but the demon inside poor Edward had brought me to this limbo where she dwelt, seemingly trapped between heaven and hell. I stood there for some time and stared into her sorrowful, accusing eyes. Instinctively, I knew that Edith blamed me for her untimely death, and she was right to do so. 
but when I attempted to speak the words to apologize, I found the words stuck in my throat. Instead, I could only look on in abject horror as Edith opened her mouth to reveal a gaping black hole before she admitted an ungodly high-pitched scream, a cry so awful that it forced me to retreat and cover my ears, rolling my fragile body into a protective ball as I attempted to drown out the terrible sights and sounds. But in an instant, my ordeal was over, and I found myself back in Edward's chambers as the demon inside him released me from its grip. I fell backwards onto the carpet, crying out as I tried to regain my senses. Meanwhile, the demon's eyes shut, and Edward slowly turned around in his chair, showing me his true face once again. All the color had been drained from the poor man's cheeks, and his eyes were sullen and devoid of any spark. When he spoke next, it nearly broke my heart in two. Good sir, I'm so very sorry. I see now that there is no hope. As if my actions on that night were not shameful enough, I further disgraced myself by fleeing the Mordake house without delay. I recall making some pathetic excuse to the Lord, claiming that I suddenly had fallen ill and must seek out a physician. I could tell that Lord Mordake was bitterly disappointed by my cowardice, but perhaps not surprised. I never had any further contact with the Lord and his son, but I was to hear of the tragedies which befell their family. Edward took his own life at the tender age of 23, and his long-suffering father passed away soon after, leaving a string of debts in his wake, which resulted in the ruin of his once great family. My own involvement in this sad tale is far from admirable. I achieved my lifelong goal and proved the existence of the occult, but I found little satisfaction in this fact, realizing that I'd failed to help this poor family and indeed may have heightened their suffering. Nevertheless, my good readers, I have elected to tell this tragic tale, if only because Edward Mordake deserved to be remembered. He was a good and brave young man who fought with all his strength against the evil that had unjustly possessed him, but in the end he could fight no more. I only hope that he has finally found peace. I hope you enjoyed the tragic saga of Edward Mordick by Finn McCool, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that tale and would love to read more from tonight's very talented feature author, you can help support him by visiting simplyscarypodcast.com slash finn-mccool. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash f-i-n-n-m-c-c-o-o-l. Thanks again for your support of this program and tonight's featured author. And more than that, a thank you to all of tonight's featured authors. Now, before we go, I'd also like to take a moment to thank you personally for joining me on this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. 
If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the patrons link at the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs or become a patron for as little as five bucks a month get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012, all of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Gyrie channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014. And you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky. Get some sleep, if you can. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcasts Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted and its featured stories performed by yours truly, Otis Jiry. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respective authors. Original music provided by Luke Hodgkinson and Jesse Cornett. Sound design and final mixing and mastering provided by executive producer and director Craig Groshek. Program's artwork and logo by David Romero. If you're looking for some fresh tales on a daily basis while waiting for the next podcast, check out my YouTube channel, The Otis Jiry Channel, and my extensive collection of narrated tales there. Simply search on YouTube by my name, and you'll find me. And don't forget to subscribe and press the bell notification icon to get my latest releases. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at otis at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of this show. That's O-T-I-S at simplyscarypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive 
and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.